Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler, and uh, this is Strong Opinion Sports. Today is, oh God, it's Tuesday something. It's Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, June 18th. According to the piece of paper in front of me, I just had an amazing weekend. Oh my gosh. Um, I got to watch my best friend graduate. I, I helped her move home from college. It was a lot of work, a lot of fun. Uh, we got home late last night around 10 p.m. I'm home today. Today is my day home for a little bit. Uh, I leave again tomorrow morning for my dad's wedding. Uh, but hey, I got one day in between. There's a bunch of news in the sports world. Um, I want to just jump right into sports. I'm going to talk about the Anthony Davis trade in just a minute. But I want to first start with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is where I want to start today. Uh, if you don't know, I don't know how you don't know, but if hey, look, people are new to sports, whatever. Um, Aaron Rodgers is the Green Bay Packers quarterback. And last year, he did not get along well with his head coach. That guy got fired. The old head coach is gone. And this year, the Packers brought in a new, younger head coach, Matt LaFleur. He's 39 years old. Aaron Rodgers is 35 years old. And the biggest question for the Packers season is this. Will their quarterback be coachable? Aaron Rodgers is extremely talented. But will he fight with his coach? That's the million, literally the million dollar question is, will Aaron Rodgers fight with his coach? So news broke yesterday. There were headlines like this. Aaron Rodgers is not happy with the Packers' new system. He says he doesn't want to turn off 11 years. Headlines like this, headlines that said, Aaron Rodgers wants more freedom at the line of scrimmage. And what this all basically boils down to is that Aaron Rodgers is not happy currently with his coach. With one aspect of how he's being coached, excuse me. Aaron Rodgers wants more freedom to change the play at the line of scrimmage. Now, things are not clear whether he can or cannot, but the wording is he wants more freedom to change the play at the line of scrimmage. So what, it doesn't really matter what he has right now or not. The point is he's not satisfied with how much he can do right now at the line of scrimmage. And that quote, you know, I don't think you want me to turn off 11 years. What he's saying is I'm an NFL veteran. I'm a smart quarterback. And I want to be allowed to change the play more freely. He wants more freedom. And actually, look, I agree with what Aaron Rodgers is saying. At, at the core of this, the argument makes sense. I totally agree. The content of what he's saying, yes, I agree. The problem is you cannot say this publicly. Making it public is my problem with this. It's not the what. It's not the what. It's not the content of the message. It's how the message was put out there. In fact, I think it's the fact the message was put out there at all. It's not cool. Aaron Rodgers wanting freedom to change the play at the line of scrimmage makes total sense. That's not a crazy, wacky, weird thing. The dude's a legend. He's among not only the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now, he's, he's potentially a Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, this guy is a special, special player. So again, yes, Aaron Rodgers' request makes sense. I've beat that to death. But making it public is the problem. I really do not like the way that Aaron Rodgers operates. I don't like the way he communicates. It's awful. He's very passive-aggressive. He's indirect. Him and I would not get along well in a locker room. If that's how he operates, if he had a problem with me, and he went public rather than coming to talk to me about it. Mm, no, no, no. That's not how things work. I don't like that. Basically, if he doesn't get his way, or if he has an issue with you at all, 
He goes public. He forces, he tells the media and forces whoever, really, he forces his coach's hand. He doesn't like the way he's being coached. He talks about it in the media, and the coach changes their behavior right away. That is awful, 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 an awful way to communicate and an awful way to relate to other human beings. Honestly, I I walk away from this story feeling really bad for the Packers head coach, Matt LaFleur. I mean, this is his first NFL head coaching job. He's in, really, I think he's in way over his head. Dealing with Aaron Rodgers, this guy is so far in over his head. I feel so bad. Because the number one thing you want from your quarterback, what you would hope is that your quarterback is reliable. That's really like one of the number one things you look for and hope for. And Aaron Rodgers has not been that. He has not been that for the Packers. He can't trust Aaron Rodgers. And the media has been really, really excited for this story. Uh, Everybody jumped at it with hot takes and this and that and ah. Um, And and again, I just just feel sad for their head coach. I feel sad for the Packers head coach. I figured something like this would happen eventually, but I did not expect it to happen in June. It's June. We are still months away from playing football games, and there's already drama between the Packers head coach and the Packers quarterback. And the drama is coming from Aaron Rodgers. This is Aaron Rodgers' fault. Aaron Rodgers is to blame here. He's already undermining his head coach in the media. It's not cool. And what we can learn from this is really, if you have a problem with somebody, deal with it privately. Deal with it directly. Talk to their face. Solve the problem. Don't go public. That's so weird. Basically, first of all, Rodgers lost a lot of respect for me by complaining about this publicly. But Aaron Rodgers is like that annoying guy on Facebook who shares way too much information about his relationship on Facebook. He goes like, you know, man, my new girlfriend won't let me go to the lake. I don't get to go to the lake. And, and, and really the wording would be, I don't get to go to the lake as freely as I would like to. <laughs> my old girlfriend let me the last 11 years. I used to be able to go to the lake whenever I wanted. I, 11 years, I went whenever I wanted. Now I can't. He's that guy complaining on Facebook. And you're like, oh, I hate all of that. You probably hated me talking about it. You didn't like that voice. I didn't like that voice. It's terrible. Don't air your laundry publicly. That's gross and awful. And that's what Aaron Rodgers did. Right now, the Packers have a chance to be really good. They do. They have a good head coach. A head coach that I, everybody reporting says, this guy knows offense. The Packers receivers are excited. People are open. It seems like Matt LaFleur is a really good offensive coach. And the Packers finally have a good defense. Everything they need is there. And the problem is, Aaron Rodgers, who is incredibly talented, by the way, Aaron Rodgers might screw it up. And this guy's really lucky. He's got the best girlfriend. He's got a boat. He's got a nice house. But he cannot stop making passive-aggressive comments and ruining everything. Aaron Rodgers is that guy. And if the Packers fail... I think it's more than likely that it will be because of Aaron Rodgers. And that's a shame. That sucks. That is sad. Right now, the Packers organization is doing a lot of stuff well. But their quarterback, their potentially Hall of Fame quarterback, their veteran quarterback, Aaron Rodgers and his lack of direct communication are the problem. Aaron Rodgers is the problem in Green Bay. And to me as a football fan, as a guy who... I love quarterbacks. I'm a nerd about quarterbacks. It's so depressing and sad because the guy's so talented and he's so obviously just getting in his way. 
It's like you need to communicate more directly. You can't call people out publicly. That is not how you build good relationships. And maybe he doesn't care about building a good relationship with his coach, but it is off to a bad start. It's only June, June 18th, and we're already concerned about the Packers quarterback and their head coach having issues. It is really concerning. If you're a Packers fan and if you're a fan of football in general, you probably don't feel good about the Packers right now. Okay, uh, before we shift gears to the Anthony Davis trade, uh, I want to tell you what's coming up ahead. We're going to talk about the Anthony Davis trade. That's a big deal. I'm excited. I got a lot to talk about about it, about, about, whatever. Um, But then I'm going to tell you why Baker Mayfield made a mistake. That's later in the show. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Browns in general. We'll talk about how the Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott can make even more money. We're going to talk about the Warriors a little bit. We have a lot of good stuff ahead. Um, I also, I want to really impress this on you. Please do me a huge favor. Please follow me on Instagram. Strong, uh, not strong. My, my name is at Zach Schaumler. I'm Zach Schaumler. My name is at Zach Schaumler on Instagram. I want to reach 10,000 followers so I can put links in my Instagram story. That's what I love to do. Um, and uh, I also, you know, there's no film analysis today. I'm going to talk about that coming up. I've been doing for a while a quarterback film analysis every single episode of the show. We will get to that later. I'm going to talk about how I'm going to improve the show down the road at the end. Um, but for right now, let's jump into Anthony Davis. So uh, if you, I don't know how you wouldn't know this, but a massive, massive trade just took place in the NBA. Anthony Davis was traded to the L.A. Lakers. And I, I love this trade so much for everybody involved. Everybody involved. You know, some people are like, who won the trade? I'll, I'll tell you who won the trade. The Pelicans won the trade. The Lakers won the trade. Anthony Davis won the trade. LeBron won the trade. Zion won the trade. Lonzo Ball won the trade. Everybody involved won. It's great. So in the trade, the Lakers get one player. The Lakers got Anthony Davis, a Six-time All-Star, a fantastic power forward, and a guy who's a, a really good basketball player. He, he puts the Lakers over the hump. The Lakers got Anthony Davis. The Pelicans got all of their—I'm about to list a lot of stuff. This is everything the Pelicans got. The Pelicans got Lonzo Ball, who is a point guard. He was the 2017 number, number two overall pick in the NBA draft. He's 21 years old. They also got Brandon Ingram, who's the former number second overall pick the year before in 2016. He's also 21 years old. They got Josh Hart, who's 24. I believe last year he was the Summer League MVP. Either way, he's a guy who works really hard. He's got a good motor. He's either a really good role player, maybe a potential starter down the road. A lot of potential in Josh Hart. They also got three first-round draft picks from the Lakers. Pelicans got Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and three first-round draft picks, all for Anthony Davis to the Lakers. It's amazing. It's Again, people are like, who won the trade, this side or that side? Everybody, everybody involved won in this trade. This is why the Lakers won in this trade. The Lakers wanted to become contenders for an NBA championship, and they got that instantly. Now they are, and the price of that is invaluable. The pri- and really what they gave up, here's what's interesting. They gave up Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, and three first-round draft picks. Three players and picks that have a lot of potential, but not a lot of substance. Potential does not win NBA championships. 
substance does. That is what Anthony Davis does for the L.A. Lakers. By the way, the Lakers got away from Lonzo Ball's crazy dad. I, I love LeVar Ball. I don't, mm, ah, it's not, I don't like that. I am interested in, I, I enjoy listening to LeVar Ball. He's entertaining. He's not good for a franchise. If I was the Lakers, I'm like, I want this guy out and far away from my franchise. That is what the Lakers did. There's also rumor right now the Lakers are trying to sign Kemba Walker in free agency. Fantastic move. Uh, I love this. First of all, I think he's going to want to go to the Lakers. Kemba Walker will want to be in L.A. First of all, you can be rich in L.A. I I have an opinion about this. It's kind of a joke. It's also kind of true. If you can be rich anywhere in the world, there's no better city than Los Angeles. I lived there briefly. I was not rich. I was dirt poor living in like a, a garage. But hey, I saw people that were well off and I was like, man. They look like they're living the life. So if Kemba Walker can go to L.A. and play basketball, yes. The other thing is Kemba Walker has not been on very talented or very successful teams. Hasn't had a lot of help, hasn't won a lot of games. The chance for Kemba Walker to go win games, I would imagine, in L.A. is very exciting. Now that the Lakers are contenders with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, they're a destination hotspot, and I'm sure a lot of players will want to go to L.A. for a chance to win and a chance to live and be in L.A. Let's talk about the Pelicans. So the Lakers won big time. They are now contenders for an NBA championship. The New Orleans Orleans Pelicans also won in this trade. They have not been interesting for a long, long time. I think it's very possible that in the two-year span of this show, I have never once talked about the New Orleans Pelicans. I probably haven't. I just don't, I don't know. But after this trade, now that they have what they have, can't wait to watch. So because of this trade, the Pelicans have the number one overall pick in the upcoming NBA draft. They also have the number four overall pick. And it's possible they trade the fourth overall pick. We don't know. But it's universally believed that they're going to draft Zion Williamson number one overall. He's, it's just, that's going to happen. Like, I'm not 100%. I'm like 99.99999. They're going to draft Zion Williamson. So the game plan now is for the Pelicans. We want to build a team around Zion. And that is going to take time. The Lakers gave up pieces because they were going to take time to develop. They gave up Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, those draft picks because they were not valuable to the Lakers. The Lakers do not have time to sit and wait. They have LeBron James, who's 34 years old. The Lakers want to and need to win right now. The Pelicans have time to wait. On the other hand, really, the Pelicans need time because they're going to get an 18-year-old Zion Williamson, and it's going to take him three years to get to probably probably to get to an all-star level where he's dominating. He's good now. He's great. He'll be better in three years. And the young players, those young players, those draft picks, that is exactly what the New Orleans Pelicans need. This could not be better for them. They can build a deep rich core of young players around their new franchise star, Zion. Give this team four, maybe five years, let them all grow together. Oh my gosh. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. I really cannot wait. Give the Pelicans a little bit of patience. They, they might trade some of their draft picks. But the point is, overnight, the Pelicans became interesting and an interesting young team in my eyes. I was like, yes, 
Yes! I'm so excited. The Packers, sorry, the Packers, the Lakers are good. The Lakers are interesting. They have a chance to win a championship. And man, the Pelicans with Zion and a bunch of interesting young players. I'm going to pay attention. I've never once paid attention to that team. The Lakers won big. The Pelicans won big. Everybody won in the Anthony Davis trade. And now, honestly, looking back on LeBron James last year, last year for the Lakers was a trial run. The question was, can Lonzo and Brandon Ingram develop quickly enough? And clearly the answer was no. They said, no, we're not going to wait that long. This isn't working. But now that LeBron James and the Lakers have Anthony Davis, my perspective on last year for the Lakers is different. This is now the lost year for LeBron James. This is not a, a franchise in trouble. This is a franchise that took a year off. Like, ah, a year vacation. We're not, you know what? Well, now we're back. The 2018 season for LeBron James, 2018-2019 season was he got hurt, took a bunch of time off, drank a bunch of wine. He just relaxed, kicked back, took a year off, took a year to get healthy and prepare, whatever the heck LeBron James needed to do. But now with Anthony Davis, I believe we're going to see a much different LeBron James next year. First of all, we have reasons to put expectations on him now. And I think he thrives in that situation. A lot of people are doubting LeBron. I think he's going to deliver. And, and one of the one things I've learned in sports is there are two people you just don't doubt. Because Tom Brady and LeBron James, you don't doubt them because they always, every single time, find a way to defy the expectations. Tom Brady's in his 40s winning Super Bowls, and LeBron James is 34, still possibly the best player in the world in year, I don't even, like 13, some like ridiculous, I, I don't know off the top of my head how many years he's been in the NBA. I think 15. Yeah, 15, since he's 18, 30, yeah. It's unbelievable how good LeBron still is. I wouldn't doubt him. I would not put him aside. I think LeBron James is ready to go, and I, I'm, I'm so excited, man. The NBA is so interesting. Oh, the last few weeks, everything has changed in the NBA. The Raptors beat the Warriors. Shocking to me. I was like, oh, the Raptors, good for them. The Warriors are now down and out. And the question is, will the Warriors be back and dominate again? And the Warriors being down and out opens the door for other teams. And there are so many interesting teams right now in the NBA. Young teams that I'm excited to watch. The Mavericks have Luka Doncic, Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. The Hawks have Trey Young. Can't, I'm so excited. Can he develop? I don't know. And interesting is cool. Interesting is, sorry, uh, doubt. Doubt is cool. Like, if I don't know if someone's good or not, Trey Young, is he going to develop? No idea. That's fascinating and intriguing to me. We get to watch the Pelicans. The 76ers are interesting. The Celtics are interesting. The Blazers are very good. They're going to get players back. Yusuf Nurkic is coming back. Hopefully they can keep Rodney Hood. The Raptors are still there. The Bucks are still good. The Lakers are interesting. Man, I am so excited for, ne for this year. This upcoming NBA season is going to be so much fun. And, and I hate to say this, but it's because the Warriors aren't the dominating force they were last offseason. Last year going into the year, we were like, well, the Warriors will be back. And look, they lost, but they dominated all year. If they hadn't gotten hurt, they would have won the championship again. And, and that's really what you know this did, is losing the Warriors made the NBA interesting overnight. So again, back to the Anthony Davis trade. Everybody won. The Lakers won. 
The Pelicans won. I'm so excited. And people who say the Lakers gave up too much, you're ridiculous. The things they gave up would not have helped them. The potential of those young players wasn't going to develop fast enough. It's more helpful to the Pelicans to have it. And the Lakers getting a substantial bona fide star right now helps them. Everybody won in this trade. And I'm so excited moving forward to watch the NBA. Um, so right now, let's go to the, let's talk about the Warriors real quick. The Warriors lost the NBA Finals. And uh, it was shocking. If you told me that in last October, told me in October 2018, that the Raptors would beat the Warriors in six games, I would have laughed at you. I would have been like, no way. It's not going to happen. You're delusional. You're probably a delusional fan if you believe the Raptors beat the Warriors in the NBA Finals. And yet that's what happened. And you, we're going to have to pick a side about the Warriors. Are they coming back or not? And to me, I strongly believe the Warriors are going to be back. A lot of bad stuff has happened to the Warriors. They lost the NBA Finals. Two of their stars suffered major injuries. Kevin Durant ruptured his Achilles. Some people say he will never be the same again. Clay Thompson tore his ACL. Awful. Significant injuries that are, are very... Uh, it's going it's gonna, it, to question us. We're going to have to question, man, will the Warriors ever be the same again? And then they lost in the NBA Finals. And they didn't just lose. The Warriors didn't just lose the NBA Finals. They lost the Finals and people celebrated. People were excited. They were happy. They got in the Warriors' face about it. Yeah! You guys lost! Yes! People were happy. Social media threw a party right in the Warriors' face. And I'm a big believer of something. When you go through hard things, I think it bonds people. It bonds relationships. Look at my Instagram. My Instagram is, uh, I tell a lot of stories about my life on my Instagram. My brother died and my friends and I came together. Uh, one of my best friends in the world, I made a video with him on my personal YouTube channel, Zach Schaumler. He lost his leg. And Jared and I became really good friends through that experience and bonded. One of my best friends in the world has a disease. She just found out and we've become really, really close through that. The power hard times can have bonds people. It brings them together. And my prediction is that the Golden State Warriors going through these hard times, losing, injuries, people celebrating your loss. It hurts inside. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, they're going to look at each other and go, no, we're going to fight this. They're going to come together and they're going to they're come back with a vengeance. Everybody celebrated. When the Warriors lost. That would, that would make me angry. And my prediction is that the Golden State Warriors will not only be back. They're going to be back with a vengeance. And I think they're going to dominate the NBA once again. Eventually. Give them time. They got to heal. But when they're healed. Watch out. The Warriors will be back. Now. Uh, the Raptors just won the NBA Finals. And I was, I was so happy for them. I, I, you know, it's just cool. It's, they came together as a team. I have a lot of respect for the way they play. The hustle, the Raptors is awesome. They played great defense down the stretch. And really what, what impressed me too is they hit shots in big moments. I was like, man, Van Fleet, he, he's killing it. Like this is, it was just cool to me. The people and the names I hadn't heard very much going into that series. I learned some new names. 
I was excited to watch him. It was just cool. I really enjoyed watching the Raptors win their first NBA championship. And it's funny to me to look back on that trade of the Spurs. The Spurs traded Kawhi Leonard to the Raptors. And I was basically like, so what? He's in Canada. Nobody cares. They're not gonna, they're not gonna do anything. The, the Warriors are still dominating. Yeah, the Raptors are that much better. Whatever. I just totally wrote it off. And I, I was dead wrong. And and I I just am so, you know, looking back on that trade, that trade for Kawhi Leonard made the difference. And it's a major part of why the Raptors won their NBA championship. I'm just happy for them. Like people are like, oh, you beat the the Warriors, the injured Warriors. I, I don't care about who they beat. Credit and props to the Raptors. They did a great job. And uh, I, I'm just happy that they won their first NBA championship. Okay, I want to now shift gears to Baker Mayfield. We're going to talk about Baker. Uh, Baker just fascinates me. He's just like my favorite quarterback to talk about, to watch. I, I just so very much enjoy talking about Baker Mayfield. So in my opinion, Baker Mayfield, the Cleveland Browns quarterback, made a mistake. I want to break it down. Uh, a while back, the Browns running back, Duke Johnson, said that he wanted to be traded away. And it, it made sense to me, right? The Browns have Nick Chubb, a really good running back. They also just signed. Uh, they brought in Kareem Hunt. He, now, Kareem Hunt is suspended for eight games. But when Kareem Hunt comes back, it's likely that Duke Johnson will be the number three running back on the Cleveland Browns roster. And, you know, Duke Johnson is a solid running back. He can contribute and help a team somewhere, and he wants playing time. He's like, look, I want to earn a new contract. I want to get on the field so I can get more money. And it, he, wants to take, he wants to take care of his family. Totally makes sense to me. I get it. Now, when Baker Mayfield, Duke Johnson's teammate, Duke Johnson's quarterback, and, and, and teammate on the Browns, was asked how he felt about, about all of this, here's what Baker Mayfield said. Baker Mayfield said about Duke Johnson, he said, that's a situation we've been dealing with for a while. He said, you're either on this train or not. It's moving. You can get out of the way or you can join us. So it is what it is. He's basically saying, hey, Duke Johnson, get on or get off. And I, a couple of veterans of the Browns didn't like this, these comments. They were like, yeah, that's, yeah, we don't feel good about that. And reports are that they approached Baker Mayfield that they, and they had a, a positive conversation. So a lot, of, a lot of thoughts here. I want to talk about Duke Johnson. We'll talk about what Baker Mayfield said. I want to start here, though, is that veterans coming to talk to Baker Mayfield is, is a good thing. That's a sign of a healthy locker room. And a healthy relate. They, they respect Baker. Baker respects them. They can communicate with each other. Great. That's awesome. But I think Baker made a mistake. He should not have said what he said about Duke Johnson, even though, by the way, look, I can agree with what you say and still think you shouldn't have said it. Some things should not be said publicly. We saw Aaron Rodgers do it today. He called out his coach. You can't do it. You can't say that publicly. And what Baker Mayfield said about his running back and about his teammate is something you really should not say. I agree with what Baker Mayfield said. Everything Baker Mayfield said was true. Said, hey, it's time to go. Get in or out. Do you want to trade? Do you want to be a part of this team? We want to win games. That's our goal. And do you want to win games with us? Or do you hate the Browns and want to leave? So I agree with what Baker's saying, right? It's, it's, it's like the right message to send to the locker room, which is no distractions. We want to win games. That's what Baker Mayfield was trying to send. That's the message it seemed like he was trying to send to the locker room. I agree with that, but you can't say what you said. The what he said 
did not have much compassion for Duke Johnson. And I know that's a, a not a sexy term, compassion. You know, oh, we're guys, we can't. It's, it's important. It really is, especially when you're dealing with other people. They're teammates. This is a very nuanced situation. There's a lot of pros and a lot of cons to what Baker Mayfield said. On one hand, Baker set the tone, right? He said, there's, there's no BS here. We're here to work. We want to win games. But he should have delivered that message differently. He should have had compassion for Duke Johnson's situation. Reports have said Duke Johnson isn't causing trouble. He just wants to be traded. He wants to be traded so he can go somewhere else and earn a new contract. And really the truth is that even if Duke Johnson was a distraction, calling him out, not having compassion for a situation is not good. What happens when he sees Duke Johnson the next day in the locker room? Is it awkward? What he should have said is, we want to win games and we're here to work. Or he should have said, no comment, I have nothing to say. If you don't have something good to say about your teammate, probably don't say it, especially in a situation like this. Baker could have sent the message that the Browns want Duke Johnson. He could have wooed him into wanting to stay. Be kind to him. Say, hey, we like Duke Johnson. He's great. It's, it's too bad he doesn't want to be here, but we could use him if he wants to play for the Browns. Say nice things. Make him want to be a part of you. Instead, Baker Mayfield pushed him away. And now I'm not sure if or even if they can. I'm not sure if the Browns keep him, and I'm not sure the Browns can keep Duke Johnson on their roster. I actually did something similar to what Baker did in high school. When I was in high school playing quarterback, um, there was a, a receiver who was really nice to me when I transferred in. I transferred into a new school, and we were both on the bottom of the totem pole together. We were both JV football players. He was really tall, had a lot of potential, but he was lazy. He was an okay receiver, um, but, but lazy. Now, later that season, I became the varsity starting quarterback. I moved up. He stayed down on JV. He didn't work hard. He could have, if, if, if he'd worked hard, would have been a great receiver. Didn't work hard, though. So the next offseason, I was the returning starter. I, I, you know, I was like, man, I'm the man. I feel pretty good about myself. And I was not afraid to speak up and voice my opinion. And so one day we were warming up for summer weights, and he was screwing around. And, and in, my, in my view, it felt like he was always screwing around. Like, man, c- dude, can you just get it figured out? So I called him out. I called him out in front of everybody. I got in his face. I said, man, stop screwing around or go home. Get on or get off the train. And he went home, <laughs> and he never played organized football again. That's not going to happen in the Duke Johnson situation. But I just look back later, and I'm like, man, you know, I, I should have handled that situation better. He liked football. What he didn't like was me being a jerk to him and calling him out publicly in front of everybody. It hurt our relationship. And you know what? We could have used the guy. My senior year, we could have used that tall receiver. He would have been a good role player and contributed a little bit to our team. This is not a direct comparison to Baker Mayfield's situation. It's not. But it's, it's a situation where you don't have compassion for someone else and you damage a relationship and it make it so that it might even leave your team. The Browns could use Duke Johnson. And if they trade away Duke Johnson, that's a loss, the loss of a role player who could really help their team win games. I know that what I did in high school was I drove away a player who could have helped us. I was a jerk and it cost me a friendship with a guy who was nice to me and it cost me probably a win or two in football because we didn't have a role player playing wide receiver. We could have used the guy. 
Baker Mayfield was right about Duke Johnson. What he said was, dude, get in on, get on or get on. Do you want to be traded or do you want to be here? Totally agree with everything he said. The message, the content of the message is right. But don't make it public. Don't call out the guy. Go talk to him face to face. Deal with it. I just think Baker could have had a little more compassion for his teammate and delivered the message better. Right. I, I, I'm not, maybe that's just my stance. Maybe I don't like when people air their dirty laundry publicly, but that to me, the way Baker handled the situation, not cool. It's not good. You don't, you don't embarrass someone to make them like you and want to be a part of your team. That's, that's a really bad tactic. If you want someone to work with you. And, uh, it just seemed like Baker was like, ah, screw you. I'm going to push you away. And I really don't like that. So, um, I think Baker Mayfield made a mistake. He's fine. He'll be okay. Um, I think really, I would love to hear Baker say, you know, I own it and say, yeah, I, you know, I, I should have been more compassionate to what he, he would never use that word probably, but say like, yeah, look, I get it. I get what Duke Johnson's coming through, going through and something like that. Something to re- repair the situation a little bit. Cause I can't imagine that Duke Johnson is extremely excited to work with Baker Mayfield moving forward. Um, but I just thought the way he handled this whole situation was that comment was a mistake. He shouldn't have said that. Uh, how about the Browns in general? It is entirely fair to be skeptical of the Cleveland Browns and their head coach, Freddie Kitchens. Right now, the Cleveland Browns have a ton of personality in their locker room. Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Baker Mayfield. If you're skeptical, I understand. It makes sense to me. And it is totally fair to be skeptical of the Browns head coach, Freddie Kitchens. He's never been a head coach before. Not once, not ever. And it is totally reasonable if the reason why you are skeptical of Freddie Kitchens is because he's never been a head coach before. If that's your reasoning, I support that. It makes sense to me. Because when you're new, when you've never done something before, especially a job, you're constantly dealing with situations you've never dealt with before. I really think the Browns should have hired Bruce Arians. They should have hired Bruce Arians instead of Freddie Kitchens. Bruce Arians wanted to be the head coach of the Browns. He was willing to come out of retirement to work with the Browns. And instead, the Browns hired Freddie Kitchens. So who is Bruce Arians? Bruce Arians was a a head coach in the NFL. He's been successful before as an NFL head coach. He's good with quarterbacks. He worked with Peyton Manning as a rookie. He worked with Andrew Luck as a rookie. Worked with Ben Roethlisberger. He revitalized Carson Palmer's career in Arizona. And Arians wanted to be in Cleveland, but they chose somebody else. And so when, when the Browns didn't choose Bruce Arians, he said, okay, and took a job with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And this is controversial, but I really believe the Browns should have hired Bruce Arians instead of Freddie Kitchens. And maybe this won't age well. I can acknowledge, like, maybe 10 months from now, I look like a complete idiot, right? Maybe the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were terrible, and they failed. And if they do, it will not be because of their head coach. If the Buccaneers fail, it will will be because their quarterback, Jameis Winston, is a mess. But I know one thing, is that Bruce Arians and Baker Mayfield would have worked really well together. I I just, I know it would have happened. It would have been great. And even more interesting is, here's a kicker. Freddie Kitchens coached under Bruce Arians in Arizona. You could have still had Freddie Kitchens. You could have still been your offensive coordinator. 
He just would have worked underneath Bruce Arians, a guy who's been there before and done the job before. Arians is better prepared to be an NFL head coach right now because he's done the job before and done it at a high level and won games. Freddie Kitchens has never been an NFL head coach before. And I know people are sick of hearing that, like you're beating it over the head. with you. Like, yes, we know. We know. If you're a Browns fan, you're like, Zach, shut up. I know Freddie Kitchens is a first-year head coach. That's the only thing anybody ever says about him. And I will acknowledge, right, Freddie Kitchens has been around football for years. That has some value, a little bit of value, yes. But because he's new, it does, it, it's a little bit important. He's going to face situations and challenges he's never dealt with before. Now, here is the most honest thing I could possibly say about Freddie Kitchens. When anybody in the media is building an argument about him, there's really not much more to say other than he's never done the job before. I know it's infuriating to hear the same thing over and over and over again. So what? He's a rookie head coach. So what? You're like, just stop with this narrative. I understand it. But there's not much more to say because we had nothing else to go off. He's never done it before. Nobody knows. Nobody knows how good Freddie Kitchens will be or will not be. We can speculate based on training camp, but the truth is we have no idea because he's never done the job before. And it might annoy you, it might make you mad, but it does matter. It's relevant to the situation. Because there's no track record, I think it's entirely fair to be inherently skeptical. In fact, I think people should be skeptical of the Browns. They should be skeptical of their head coach. As a football fan, why should we just assume this guy's going to succeed? We shouldn't. Because you love the Browns? Because you love Baker Mayfield? I mean, that, that's fair, but that's just your blind fandom. Blind fandom is the only reason right now to believe in Freddie Kitchens. And if that's your reason, hey, dude, fine, great. You got a Baker Mayfield jersey. You spent a ton of money on season tickets. Makes sense to me. I understand it. But for me, I'll believe it when I see it. And I'm not coming at this with an angry tone. or It's not what I mean to. I just, hey, my mind is open. Prove me right. What you can't do is you can't deny the Browns have talent. They have a ton of talent, and talent means basically nothing. Well, it means something, but it doesn't mean wins necessarily. Does anybody remember the 2011 Philadelphia Eagles? They went 8-8, and and people called them the dream team because of how talented they were. They had Michael Vick, who was... The year before, in 2010, almost an MVP, got second to Tom Brady, and the Eagles were coming off of a year where they were the number two offense in the NFL. They had Michael Vick, Namdi Asamoah, Dominique Rogers-Camardi, Jason Babin, Steve Smith, Vince Young as their backup quarterback, Ronnie Brown, LaShawn McCoy, Brent Selleck, Deshaun Jackson, Jason Peters, Jason Kelsey, name after name after name, really good players, a lot of pro bowlers. All this talent in that team went eight and eight. My point is talent does not necessarily mean you're going to win games. And if that's your reasoning for believing in Freddie Kitchens, that's a bad argument because talent doesn't really mean squat. It, it, it doesn't mean you're going to win games. It means you're a talented football team. Cool. Pa- the Patriots are not extremely talented. They win a lot of Super Bowls. Now, here's one thing we can do as football fans. I think it's important. Have an open mind. Right? I'm hard on Freddie Kitchens. I'm skeptical. I'm like, yeah, we'll see. I'll see it when I believe it. But I'm going to give him a chance. 
I'm going to give him a month into the season, maybe more, before I finally expect things to start running smoothly. Give the guy time. Give him patience. I'm going to, and I, I'm skeptical, but I'll give Freddie Kitchens a chance. He's new. There's a learning curve. When, I, when I'm new at my job, in fact, let's be honest, I've only been broadcasting for two years. I'm, I'm still new at my job. I hope you guys give me a little bit of grace because I'm going to make mistakes. Ugh, that was loud. See, see, I hit the table. It's really loud. But right now, there's a clean slate. And, and I really cannot, I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to see what happens with the Browns. I don't know. But it, my point is this. If you're skeptical, I totally understand. It's fair. I think it's a very fair thing to do. Freddie Kitchens has never been an NFL head coach before. And the most honest thing I can say about him is that we just don't know. We think we know. Blind fandom leads our hearts usually. But we don't really know how he's going to be. And I just hope people give, an op- give him an open mind. That is the most honest thing you can say about any new head coaching hire is be skeptical, wait to see what happens, but give him a fair chance. Give him a little bit before you rush to judgment. But people are like, how can you be fair of Freddie Kitchens if just because he's new? No, that's an entirely fair reason to be skeptical of Freddie Kitchens because he's new. Might be the only storyline out there. I know it makes people angry. They don't like hearing the same thing over and over again. But there's a reason it's what's out there is because it's about the only valid thing right now you can say about Freddie Kitchens because we have nothing else to go off. Uh, I want to point something out, by the way. The Browns have had an all right offseason, right? They, it's interesting because Baker Mayfield's in the headlines all the time, constantly. He's received a lot of criticism at times. He's given a lot of quotes. And it really, the, things are going, you know, despite what you're hearing and reading about Baker, things are actually going very well for the Cleveland Browns. They built a roster. They got a head coach. The, the old one's gone. The new one's in. People are excited. There's energy. The Browns have a good thing going, and their quarterback's in the news all the time. Compare the Browns to the Jets. <laughs> the Jets have not had a good offseason. They've had kind of a tumultuous offseason. They've had a lot of bad news stories about them. They fired their general manager three weeks after the NBA draft, uh, NFL draft. Three weeks after the draft, they fired the general manager. And they spent a ton of money on free agency, and it's possible they wildly overspent on everybody they've brought in. Hired new head coach guy, had crazy eyes. My point is the Jets have been in the news a bunch for all kinds of ridiculous stories, and yet the one person you don't see giving anything, no, you've heard no quotes from Sam Darnold, nothing. Sam Darnold has not added to the mess of the New York Jets at all. Baker Mayfield creates mess. Admittedly, like, I'm, I'm exaggerating like a little bit, but Baker Mayfield gives quotes and people go, ah! Sam Darnold, I don't know what Sam Darnold does because Sam Darnold hasn't made the news at all. Nobody cares. He's not saying anything newsworthy. He's not adding to the mess of the New York Jets at all. Baker Mayfield creates some mess. Sam Darnold, no mess. In fact, in spite of the mess around him, still no mess. That's impressive. Things are good for Baker Mayfield right now. And he's talking and talking and talking and creating headlines. And in contrast, even at bad times right now, Sam Darnold knows how to say nothing, how to not give a bad quote, how to not make headlines, how to not add to the mess of his franchise. I just want to I want to like put a bookmark in your brain. Notice that Sam Darnold handled a messy situation 
really well, right? It's, it's important. And then it makes me question, how will Baker Mayfield handle a messy situation? Will his loud approach work when things are going south? If, in fact, if the Browns do ever go south, will Baker Mayfield's approach to being a leader and approach to being this boisterous, loud character, will that become a problem? Because right now, the Jets have been in turmoil, and Sam Darnold, totally even keel, no quotes, not making headlines. Baker Mayfield making a ton of headlines, and things are going good for the Browns. So my point is just bookmark this in your brain. Notice, Sam Darnold handled things really well. Baker Mayfield, we don't know yet. And in fact, my, my, my estimation would be if... <laughs> what's the, I, can't even, I can't even say it backwards. I don't want to cuss. If things go south for the Browns, it's possible that he's not well-equipped to deal with that. Okay, uh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, I want to tell you guys how Dak Prescott can make even more money. Uh, we will revisit Drake at the NBA Finals. I'm going to talk about how really my plan and the things I want to do to make the show a little bit better. Uh, fair warning right now. This is your chance to opt out, right? Uh, I'm going to do Dak Prescott's interesting. And then after that is a lot of stuff about me. I, I don't. I, I wrote the show and I really like it. It's good stuff. I'm going to speculate about Baker Mayfield. I'm going to, and maybe that's here, why you're here. You want to hear my thoughts and my stuff. But um, I, I just I noticed that a lot of the analogies in the later episode is about my life. And if you don't want to hear about my life and you don't care, then no problem. Take a break. Go listen to the next one. But the next, you know, the last 20 minutes. There's probably 40 minutes left of the show. The last 20 minutes are a lot about me and my perspectives and how they've shaped the way I view sports. Do you want to hear that? Awesome. If you don't, no problem. Um, remember, though, immediately when I get back, Dak Prescott is what we're going to talk about. Dak Prescott and how Dak Prescott can make even more money. My name is Zach Schaumler. Follow me on Instagram. I want to get to 10,000 followers so badly so that I can post links to my Instagram story. Coming up, Dak Prescott and how he can make even more money. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, I want to now talk about Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. So I have this, I have a crazy counterintuitive idea. I believe Dak Prescott should ask for less money on his next contract so that the Cowboys have more money to hire better players. And I think that's going to help Dak Prescott make more money. Asking for less money. Long-term, I believe, is going to help Dak Prescott make more money. I'll explain that right now. The NFL is unique. The NFL is a very, it's different from other sports. There's only so much money that can be spent paying your players. And you cannot spend more than that amount. In case you don't know, that's called the salary cap. You're given a certain amount of money to pay all of your players. It's like $200 million something dollars. And you cannot go over that amount. This is what's important. I think a lot of people don't know this. You can't go over the amount. The NFL regulates every single deal made. If you submit a deal to their office and it means that you're going to go over the salary cap, they deny it. They don't sign deals. You cannot, it is not allowed to spend more money than the amount you're given to spend. Now, in the NBA, it's a little bit different. In the NBA, you can spend more money than the salary cap. You just pay a luxury tax, which means your money's like, you, you pay like, $350 million, right? Something, some ridiculous amount, right? If you're, if you're spending a little bit more money than the salary cap, you're taxed really hard on that money and spend a lot of money paying to the league. But the point is, 
You can go over the salary cap for a little bit for a brief time in the NBA. You cannot do that in the NFL. There's, the pie is only so big, and you can't make it bigger. The NFL is different. It's a hard no. It's not the NBA. NBA, you can go a little bit over. NFL, no chance. Teams absolutely cannot go over that amount of money. And I, I know I'm over-explaining it a little bit. I'm doing that because I don't think people fully understand. You cannot go over the salary cap in the NFL. A lot of comments. People don't seem to realize that. Um, I, I just wanted to explain that. I believe Dak Prescott would be wise to learn from another NFL quarterback, Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. And he signed a massive contract. He took up a ton of money in terms of the Seattle Seahawks salary cap. Took up a bunch of money, and there's only so much to go around. So Russell took a big piece of the pie, and it left less pie for everybody else on their roster. And since then, Russell Wilson has not had as good a teammates around him. It hurt him. It hurt his career. He's had a bad offensive line. It caused him to get hurt. He's winning less, and there's not good people around him. Russell Wilson got paid. Congratulations. But that giant contract crippled their franchise and cost Russell Wilson wins in his career and probably cost him an injury or two. It really it caused an injury and maybe cost a couple years off the end of his career. He wanted a giant contract. He got it, but it hurt his career. So the more money Dak Prescott asks from the Dallas Cowboys, the less money his team will have to spend hiring other players and hiring better players to help Dak win games. Here is how taking less money now helps make Dak more money long-term. The rumor is that he wants $33 million a year. $33 million, $32, one of those two. My suggestion is that he asks for $20 or $25 million. $10 million less than you want. I, I recognize the guy deserves to be paid. But taking $20 or $25 million a year allows for the Cowboys to spend more money getting him better teammates. And that means more wins, winning more games. And winning more games means endorsement deals. This is private money straight from companies. They hey, promote our yogurt. Be in our commercial. We'll pay you money. The NFL salary cap's not involved. Doesn't affect the Cowboys' bottom line. It means the Cowboys have more money to spend on players. And the more Dak Prescott wins games, the more he can charge per deal. Right? If he wins a lot of games, dude's going to do commercials for the rest of his life. He's good-looking. He's well-spoken. He could do commercials forever if he's the Dallas Cowboys winning quarterback. That brand is good. Right now he is, by the way. He is. But Dak Prescott's had a lot of help. He's had good teammates around him. My point is that small, signing a smaller deal now, can't even talk, signing a smaller deal now is going to help Dak Prescott's football career. He will succeed more with better players around him and succeed for longer. The more money the Cowboys have available to spend bringing in better talent, the more they're able to help Dak Prescott win games. Dak Prescott is not Aaron Rodgers. He's a talented quarterback. He's not an extremely talented quarterback. He's good, not amazing. And the truth is, you know, Aaron Rodgers has carried a team, but it's not working right now. Aaron Rodgers recently has not been able to carry his team very much. If Aaron Rodgers can't, Dak Prescott certainly cannot. 
So my point is that if Dak Prescott takes ten year ten million dollars a year less and has better teammates, he's going to have a longer career, and he's going to win more games. And truthfully, he's going to make even more money. The, the more you win, the better endorsements you get. Forget you're you're thinking small with NFL, with NFL contracts. Think endorsement money. You're winning games. You're the Cowboys quarterback. That ten million dollars you're missing now in your contract, you make that up easily in endorsements. A lot of team, a lot of companies are going to say, "Man, that quarterback." Especially if if Dak Prescott ever won a Super Bowl with the Cowboys, he's going to do commercials forever. A lot of companies are going to say, "We want that guy in our commercials, endorsing our company and endorsing our brand." Winning in the future is the best thing Dak Prescott can do for his wallet. And he wants to be paid $33 million a year. He deserves it. 100% agree. I get it. He's won a lot of games for the Cowboys, and he's done it well. The Cowboys have been paying him basically nothing. I totally understand Dak Prescott wanting as much money as possible. I get it. People don't realize my background. I grew up, there was a time in my life where my family was homeless growing up. Then eventually, we got to a mobile home. I mean, it was hard. I've been broke in my life. I get it, man. Money gives you freedom. I understand the desire to want to take care of your family. I understand why Dak Prescott would want a ton of money. I get it. My insurance covers glasses or contacts. I get one or the other. I get contacts for football. I still don't, I got to spend money if I want to buy glasses. I get it. Everything costs money. Money gives you freedom. I, I understand. And I'm, I'll be honest, pretty uncomfortable talking about another dude's paycheck. It's weird for me. Um, but, you know, I... I really believe that if Dak Prescott signs a smaller contract now, he's going to have better teammates, he's going to win more games, and it's going to allow him to have more opportunities to make money outside of football with endorsements and brand deals and commercials and all kinds of stuff. Here's the worst-case scenario for Dak. Someone's going to twist that somehow. I, I hate that I said that, actually. But my point is, this, this would, if this happens to Dak, it'd be really, really bad. He signs a huge contract. And it cripples their franchise forever. They're not able to win games because they're not able to bring in players to help Dak win games. He gets hurt, doesn't win, does what Russell Wilson did. My fear is that Dak Prescott signs a giant contract and it cripples the Cowboys roster. Dak Prescott wants good people around him. I think if Dak Prescott signs a smaller contract, it could help him earn more money down the road through endorsements and all kinds of other stuff. Think long. Think bigger than just NFL money here. Don't, don't hurt your roster. Don't cripple your franchise. Do something that helps you win a lot of games because winning a lot of games means you can sell stuff forever and you can always bank in on, I'm Dak Prescott. I'm a brand. I was a Dallas Cowboys quarterback and I won a lot of games, maybe even a Super Bowl. I think Dak Prescott can make more money by taking a little bit less. Um, so now, so that, that's... We're going to talk, I want to talk about something that I think is going to make this show a little bit better. Um, I referenced, if you're listening to the full podcast, I'm going to cut this out of the, the videos, but the breakouts. I said, if you don't want to hear about me, tune out. I, I respect you if you don't. I would be sad if you did, but I, I have a lot of stuff to say. But I'm going to talk about how I'm going to make the show better. I'm going to talk about what I think motivates Baker Mayfield and compare it to myself. Um, I'm going to talk about Drake and a, a mistake I think I made. So I think one of the things that differentiates me, I hope, from other broadcasters is that I'm willing to acknowledge my failures and my mistakes. So I made a video the other day. It's called the Dak Prescott Film Analysis. 
And I want to be very, very clear. There are a couple things I said in that video, and I completely stand by them. I, I completely believe everything I said. I'm going to list them off. Dak Prescott's good at reading defenses. He's got good habits. He's great at taking advantage of blitzes. But he struggles to throw the ball downfield. He has an accuracy problem. And sometimes Dak Prescott does not step into his throws when pressure's in his face. It hurts his accuracy occasionally. Everything I just said, completely, 100% still believe, agree with, nothing has changed. I stand by those comments. But the video could have been even better. The topic could have been better. The more I watch it, the more it bothers me. I, I go, mm, man, like, I don't know. I, I just, to me, I didn't do a good enough job explaining how I reached the conclusions I talked about. Really, it feels like a video of me just saying a bunch of opinions, like a, like a video essay, saying a bunch of stuff with footage playing over it. I don't feel like I broke down and explained and talked through enough evidence. I didn't go into enough detail, and it bothers me that that happened. It's just, it's, uh, it's not my best work. It doesn't feel good. And these are my own standards. I just know that I can do better. No one, surprisingly, actually, people like the video. No one's come after me, said, oh, terrible. You know, no one's attacked me very I, I get attacked a little bit from every video I make, but no more than normal. I've, I've actually, it's been fine. But my own standards, I watch the video and I go, that's not, that's not good enough for me. And, and just to be clear, again, I don't want anybody to twist, twist my words. Nothing in my opinion about Dak Prescott has changed, right? Nothing. Everything I said in that video, I believe 100%. My issue is I wish I'd provided more evidence. I wish I'd shown more and talked through more plays and said, this is why I believe what I believe rather than just saying what I believe. To me, my Dak Prescott film analysis feels kind of like a stain on my resume. Um, I've been trying to do a film analysis topic for every single episode of the podcast and I'm just accepting recently that that's not entirely possible. You can't. Um, I'm going to do it as often as I can moving forward. And maybe there are times where I do like, hey, three episodes in a row, they all have film analysis videos. That'd be awesome. But maybe sometimes we're going to go three episodes in a row with no film analysis videos because guess what? It takes time and you got you to gotta do it right. So I, I want to be very clear. I am not open to suggestions from anybody. I have a plan. I don't want to hear what your plan is. I have my plan. I'm going to release film analysis videos when they're completely done, when they have as much detail in them as I want, and when I feel good about it and I feel like it's ready. I'm not going to force anything out early. And I want to make an analogy that works for me. I'm really inspired by this brand, Toyota. It's a car company. Uh, and this is not sponsored. I just know someone who works there. Toyota is extremely detail-oriented. And if something isn't ready, they don't rush it out. They wait until it's fully finished before they release any product. They're never first, but they really care about quality. And that, that's, that value speaks to me. I, I care about quality. Some companies rush out products. They put things out before they're ready and before they're done. Bethesda Software, the people who made Skyrim and Fallout, it's a video game company, they released a product before it was finished. Recently, they released a game, a video game called Fallout 76. And it wasn't ready. They sold people a buggy, broken mess that was not ready to be sold. Toyota doesn't do that. They're dedicated to quality. 
<laughs> I, I know how much this sounds like an ad. I, I really, I wish it was. But I just, I find that inspiring. You know, full disclosure, I drive a 1995 Toyota Corolla, has 288,000 miles on it, car runs great. I'm impressed with the quality. And the patience of that company really inspires me. I go, oh, how cool is that? There's no rush. They're like, if it's not ready, it's not ready. We're not putting out, if our car model isn't ready, we're not putting it out. And they put out new, new lines of cars. They perfect it before they release a new model. I should have taken an extra day before I released my Dak Prescott film analysis video. I was in a hurry. I had a Kai Loxley story I really wanted to get out. I wanted to just share it with everyone so I could get that message out. It was important to me. And what happened was I rushed out a product that wasn't finished. And if I'd taken my time with my Dak Prescott film analysis video, it would have been better. I could have talked through all the plays that led to the conclusions I reached. The video was 12 minutes. I mean, other than the end, there's like that end where I go, you know, subscribe, share, Patreon, yada, yada. Other than that last little part, the video is like 12 minutes and 40 seconds or something. That should have been 22 minutes. Should have been longer. Should have had more detail in it. And so I, I just, you know, maybe someday I'll rectify this. Right now, I am, I'm burned out on Dak Prescott. I'm working on another quarterback now. I just, I, I wanted to, there was a point where I wanted to put out a film analysis video every single episode of the podcast and my competitiveness I think got the better of me and in the future I'm going to be more patient I'm going to change my approach um again haven't gotten much hate I just I know I can do better um and I think you know I wanted to talk about this because I think openness matters you know being very honest and say hey this is a a situation an issue I'm feeling that I want to discuss I wanted to bring it up you know I I, uh I try to discuss my failures (laughs) and my, my shortcomings um, and I think it's the only way to move forward when you screw up. So I, I do. I just want to say, you know, I plan on doing better moving forward. The other day, I watched my Josh Rosen. I was doing an interview with a Dolphins podcast, and I watched, I rewatched my Josh Rosen film analysis video, and I, man, this is so detailed. It's so awesome. I, I just, it was so good. And so, in the future, I'm going to aim for a, you know, a, a mix of the pairing of the detail of my Josh Rosen video with the polish of my Baker Mayfield video. Somewhere in the middle between those two is exactly what I want. And I just, I wanted to talk about, hey, that's my new goal for the show. That's my new goal for stuff. Um, You know, I I really, um, you can't really ever give enough evidence. And in in a 22-minute to 25-minute video, there's only so much you can put in, right? I'm not going to make a 45-minute film analysis video. That sounds terrible. And I would turn it off after, I think 22, you know, I'm not going to put a time limit on it, but 45 Hell no, that is not the goal. So I, I'm not perfect, I can't do everything. Um, but I do know that the Dak Prescott video was not detailed enough for me, right? It just, it should have had more evidence and should have had more, more of me walking through and talking through the decisions that Dak Prescott made that were good and showing more of the plays that I didn't like and just, I should have done more and had more detail and it didn't. And uh, I will do better in the future. You know, I, I, I love my job. I am, I am so in love with my job. I love what I do, and I want to be even better at it. I want to keep improving and get better at my job. Um, I've been doing this for two years, and I think that after 10 years, it's going to be like, oh, my God, I'm going to go back and watch this video now and be like, what an idiot. He's in a basement wearing a dumb shirt, whatever. Like, I think the show is going to get better and better and better, but I just I wanted to communicate that I, you know, I want to be better, and I want to do a better job, and I'm glad I learned this lesson now. But my film analysis videos are going to be even more detailed moving forward. 
And uh, I just thought my Dak Prescott video is like the black sheep in the family. I look at it and I'm just not as proud of it as I am everything else. It just doesn't feel good to me. I'm like, ah, that video is not like the rest. <laughs> so um, I'm going to do better moving forward. You know, I really, I, I believe that you know, one of the things that differentiates me from other broadcasters and other people in the sports world is my willingness to admit my failures and say, you know, I screwed up and that was a bad, was a bad mistake. I shouldn't have done this or shouldn't have done that. And, and I recently made a video that I thought should have been better. It's, um, it, it's called, I do not enjoy Drake at the NBA finals. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I didn't like Drake at the NBA finals. That Drake, the rapper at the finals, I thought it was incredibly annoying. I was like, ah, that's I'm not for me. I'm not a fan. I'm not enjoying this. It's, it's awkward. I thought it was, you know, I'm, I'm like trying to watch basketball and there's this guy, they keep cutting away to this guy making all these really exaggerated facial expressions. And I'm like, please go away. I don't, I don't, I don't want this at all. But you know what I did? I, my video about it sucked because the tone was terrible. I just, I, I look at the video I made and I, my, what I was trying to point out at the video was how funny I, to me, like how much I hate Drake at the finals, how much like watching Drake on the screen infuriated me. I thought it was funny. It made me laugh. I'm like, man, I'm getting really worked up. I, I really don't like this guy. And I made a video that people re- you know, like to dislike ratios pretty high. I, people relatively seem to agree with me, but I thought the tone sucked. The tone wasn't like lighthearted and going, it's funny how much I hate this thing. It was like, just no, it was straight up like, I hate this thing. It's from Satan. It's terrible. It was just awful and angry and, ranty and I, I didn't feel good about it and so I did a poor job allowing the tone in the video to come out um the video is not funny it's really serious and it should have been more lighthearted. um and I should have acknowledged that you know this is one thing I left out right this is the problem when you make a video like what I made which was the Drake video I made was an emotional topic it was it was emotional and it was emotion driven rather than logic driven and rather than a well thought out segment it was just me going I hate Drake at the finals. It's terrible. And that's not good content I want to make. Um, so I, I just, what I should have acknowledged in the video is, hey, Drake being involved in the NBA finals is great for the NBA. It's good publicity for the league. I might not like it. I think it's funny. I hate Drake at the finals. But it's good for the league. It's good publicity. It's good PR. It's good at what market, whatever the word you want to choose there. It was good for the league to have Drake at the NBA Finals. And um, I just, you know, in the future, I want to make a more thoughtful video. And I wanted to uh, just just communicate, hey, like, I think Drake, the Drake video could have been better. And uh, it's a good lesson to learn. You know, stay away from emotional driven content and make, you know, make thoughtful videos. You're the, the, the planning of the video and the, the catalyst of the video should not be emotion. It should be, hmm. Let's think about this really more in depth and try to make have a more thoughtful conversation. And and I, I failed in that respect the other day. So I just wanted to talk about that and acknowledge that and, and let you know I, I plan to and I want to be better in the future. Um well, see, we have two things, we have three things else I want to talk about. I think they have to go in order, actually. <laughs> um they're, they're, I'm excited, man. They're, this is a good topic coming up. I got a DM or it was a, like a comment on, I think it was a direct message on Instagram from someone saying, you know, they were asking me, Zach, why do you like dominance in sports? And, you know, I don't necessarily, I do not necessarily 
love when a team dominates in sports. But I admire winning. I, I respect it. I, and by dominate, I mean, we're talking about dynasties. The New England Patriots, the Golden State Warriors, Alabama football, Clemson football, Roger Federer. When people dominate in sports, man, I, I respect that. People who consistently win at a high level. I mean, c- consistent success is so hard. I just, you know, it blows my mind when people can do it for a long, long time. LeBron James, Roger Federer, Alabama football, Tom Brady, all, the, all these names pop into my head. And I just admire people who win a lot. It inspires me in my own life, in my own career. You know, I, I want to do really well. And when I see people doing really well, when I see people crushing it, I go, man, that is such a good example. Tom Brady is such a good example. Roger Federer, watch Roger Federer's like poise when he walks around a tennis court. I don't even, I don't really know the rules of tennis, but his demeanor is like, dang, this guy's just poised, doesn't even care. I was so, so impressed when I watched that guy. He's just he's like, man, I want to emulate that. I love that. And maybe, you know, it's, you know, first of all, I can acknowledge that dominant teams like the Warriors are. Like now that the Warriors are injured and potentially down and out, the Warriors are far more interesting. Hundred percent, I can acknowledge that. I think that's true. Now, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, they're hurt, and we don't know if they're coming back. And that doubt, not being sure if the Warriors are going to be able to come back and dominate in the future, the unknown is intriguing. Now, that's why in 2019 in the NFL, I'm going to date the video. You know, with the Packers and the Browns. They're some of the most intriguing storylines and teams in the NFL because we just don't know how good or how much they're going to fit. Are they going to be really good? Are they going to fail somewhere in the middle? We don't know. And, you know, unknown is intriguing in sports. And sometimes you see teams like the Warriors or the Patriots and they remove the unknown because they're so good, you know they're probably going to win. I get why people would hate that. But what I don't do, you know, it's important to me, I don't hate teams that win a lot. I don't hate people that are successful. When I see someone's winning or doing well, I don't go, oh, I hate that guy. Instead, I go, man, that's cool. And maybe that's uncommon. And maybe that's because I don't have a favorite team. I literally do not have a favorite sports team. It's just that's a quirk I have. I was kind of a Washington State fan when I went to school there. Um, and actually, the football team hated me because I, I would call them out when they were bad. Um, and players would be mad at me in my classes. So that, that's not the case anymore. I'm not really a big fan of Washington State. Um, I get it though. You know, if you're a football fan and you're like, this is your favorite team. You're like, I love this team. I have shirts and mugs and posters and this and that. And I spent money on season tickets. You're like, I'm, I'm all in on this team. And then every year you watch the new England Patriots win the Super Bowl. That's gotta be irritating. That's gotta be really, really annoying. You're like, man, I want my team there. I mean, the last five years in the NBA must've been infuriating watching for like years. First of all, it was just Cleveland and the Warriors for years. LeBron finally leaves, but the Warriors got a bit have been so irritating because for long stretches of time in the regular season and the playoffs, the last five years, first of all, they went to five finals in a row. They won three of five. They went 73 and nine. They broke the record in the regular season. And you knew if you're a basketball fan that basically every single time the Warriors came to your town, to your arena, you were going to lose. They, they removed the unknown from sports, and they removed a lot of the intrigue. So I understand why people hate those teams. I get it. I completely understand. 
But I just, personally, I respect winning. I respect the stuff behind it, the effort behind the scenes, you know, the, the motivation to get up when you're killing it is hard. When you're nothing, when you're nobody and you're a loser, for me personally, like I find getting out of bed easier when you have something to earn, when you have something to prove about yourself. When you're killing it, you're doing well, well, that's when it's harder for me to get out of bed. And so when I see people like Tom Brady win his fifth Super Bowl, going for his one a sixth now, he's, he's like, I just keep, I want more. And I'm like, what drives this guy? It's unbelievable. I just, I go, man, it's, it's like that, that to me is cool and inspiring because that's the guy that still gets out of bed and still keeps working. I don't know, Tom Brady, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Roger Federer, Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, the coach at Clemson. These guys inspire me so much. I just, you know, I, I, would, I would love to dominate my field. I think that'd be really cool. I, I love sports broadcasting. It would be fun to be one of the best in the world. I don't, I'm just, I don't know. I just, like, to, to be dominating like they are is cool to me. I go, man, like, I would love that. So when I see someone else doing it, it just it's like a, burns like a fire inside. I'm like, oh, man. Like, I, oh, congratulations. I want to do that. Like, ah. Oh. So that's, that's why I don't hate domination in sports, right? I, I, I get why people do. It's because a lot of factors, like I don't have a favorite team. I don't hate teams that win a lot. And in fact, when teams win a lot and people like Tom Brady who over and over and over again are successful, I go, man, that's cool. Man, that's just, that's so, to me, so inspiring. Um, so that is why I do not hate domination in sports. And in fact, I, I very much respect it. I'm going to talk about something pretty personal. Um, this topic led to another topic, right? The last topic just now about motivation and what drives Tom Brady got me thinking. And um, I realized this weekend, I'm driving around. Uh, I was in the state of Washington. I was, it was like a six-hour car ride. I was sitting there listening to a song and writing and journaling. And um, I realized that what usually motivates me is a feeling that I'm not good enough. It's uh, I had to journal a lot about it. I was actually crying when I wrote. I, like, I feel like I cry a lot right now. I'm like, I'm a, I always talk about like when I was, I was crying this and I was crying. Like people listen to my podcast. Like, dude, you cry every week. Shut up. Um, but, you know, a, a while ago, I contrasted Tom Brady and Baker Mayfield. I talked about what potentially motivates them. And you know, I speculated a lot about their motivation. And I think it was wrong. I, 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 that's why this topic is coming up to me. Because I was like, I, I think I got to explain. Like, I, I think I miscalculated here. Um, so I want to change and update my thoughts on <laughs> what I think motivates Tom Brady and Baker Mayfield. Who, who am I to, I don't know, but I think it's cause I, I already, I've already dug the hole, right? I should finish digging the hole and do it right at the very least. Um, I had a coach in high school who said I was too small and I would never play quarterback in college. And I did it. I proved him wrong. But by, by the way, I played quarterback in college. It, it was awesome. It was like, ah, oh, vindication. I did it. But to me, what happened when, when I, heard that in high school something inside of me shifted and changed and will never be the same uh, until I deal with it, you know probably get counseling whatever um but I I just had this feeling like I wasn't good enough and then I listened to a, a podcast I'm, I'm in the drive home this this weekend uh it's a podcast it's like a, the band bleachers is doing an interview with some therapist who is you know a, a, psych a psychologist was talking to the guy the head leader of bleachers. And he was talking about how in high school, he never felt good enough. And it stemmed a lot of stuff for him. And 
you know, I just realized that when I was in high school, I changed inside. You know, I, he said, you're too small. You'll never succeed. And since then, I've always felt like I'm chasing a feeling of not being good enough. And in some ways, it's a blessing. And in some ways, it's a curse. You know, it makes you, it makes me, I think, good at my job. I'm very detail-oriented. I sleep under my desk all the time. I feel like I can never do enough work. That there's this ongoing list. It's never done. There's never enough. You're never good enough. In some ways, it's great. And in some ways, it's really, really unhealthy. But the point is, you know, I talked about how hate and anger isn't good enough. I talked about that when I talked about Baker Mayfield and Tom Brady. I did it. It was like a, it's a video about, it's called Baker Mayfield versus, my thoughts on Baker Mayfield versus Colin Cowherd is the video I talked about this in. And, you know, I, I think that really um, the truth is that it's possible Tom Brady and Baker Mayfield are motivated by the same thing which is not their anger, which is not their hate, which is not this or that. It's probably a feeling, a deep-rooted feeling that no matter what they do, no matter what they accomplish, they're not good enough. There's not enough there. That's Because that's what I've learned about myself is that I, that's why I sleep under my desk often when I'm watching films. I'm like, I got to do more. I got to beat the next guy. And there, there is no other guy out there, by the way. It's just me working. But for some reason, I, just, I tell myself these things a lot. And... I don't know if that's pretentious. I don't know if that's horrible to say. I, I've already dug the hole. I'm going to finish it. But I just, I was, I was writing and driving and just, it occurred to me like, first of all, I'm, I'm really screwed up <laughs> and, I, and I have this constant sense of not being good enough. And my guess is that Baker Mayfield does too. And my guess is probably Tom Brady does too. Because why else? You win six Super Bowls. Why do you keep going? Love of the game, that makes sense. But Baker Mayfield, what drives Baker Mayfield? He probably isn't at home going, Colin Cowherd. Uh, it's probably just some neurotic thing inside going, you got to do more. You got to keep going. I think Baker Mayfield's motivation is internal, and it's probably an internal thing in his head going, you're not good enough. You got to keep going. I don't think Baker Mayfield sits at home, you know, deep in thought about Colin Cowherd and how he's angry and going to prove him wrong. I don't think that's true. Um, I'm pretty sure Baker Mayfield has an internal motivation, like he just has something to prove and he's not quite good enough all the time. That that's really where I think what I think drives Baker Mayfield. It's probably what drives Tom Brady. And again, I don't know if anyone cares about any of this, but I just I, I was in the car driving. I was like, it occurred, it popped in my head. I'm like, oh, that makes complete sense and makes way more sense than what I said before. So I just I wanted to share that, get it out, um, and I just uh, I don't know. Finally, I want to end the show with this. <laughs> I don't know how to end that topic. If I ever put the video out like individually, it's going to be a mess. Um, I want to end the show talking about a quarterback who inspires me. Josh McCown just retired. Um, he's a backup quarterback. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks uh, of all time in the NFL. And I learned a lot from him. He, he's a, a guy who I very much admire and very much respect. Um, and I play quarterback in college now partially because of the example he set. And so I, I wanted to share some love a little bit. Um, once upon a time, a long, like a long time, years ago, four years ago, actually, um, I was in college as a freshman and I got beat out. And I did not handle it well. I was pissed off. I quit football. I left for three and a half years. I didn't play any football. Um, and years later, I was at Washington State University. I was, you know, far way down the road in my life, not playing football, playing flag football occasionally, I'm a student, like a comm major, and I was watching the way that Josh McCown carried himself. And Josh McCown, you know, 17 years in the NFL, had a long career, 
played for 10 different teams. Basically a career backup that accepted that role. He accepted the role of being a backup and did it extremely well. For the last 17 years, he's been a backup quarterback in the NFL. That's unbelievable. That, how long that is, that, that's crazy. And the reason why it worked is because Josh McCown was completely unselfish. He put his team needs ahead of his own. And he helped the other quarterbacks on his team. He helped guys like Sam Darnold. And if Sam Darnold eventually grows to be a great quarterback, so, someone reached out to me. They asked me, hey, do the research and tell me what quarterbacks have Josh McCown all you know, tutored. I don't know. I, I think it's a lot of really good quarterbacks that Josh McCown's been around. But if Sam Darnold grows and develops, that's just one of them. We can say, wow, the influence Josh McCown had on Sam Darnold was brilliant and fantastic. And that's because it goes back to this unselfishness uh, of what Josh McCown did. And so I just, I saw that and thought, man, I can do what Josh McCown is doing. I was, I was in college, not playing football. And I was like, man, the way he carries himself as a backup, I can do that. And it gave me the confidence after three and a half years away from football, watching Josh McCown to me was like, oh, I can play football again. I realized like if I play football again and I get beat out, it won't be the end of the world. And I can still help my team. I can still have a role even if I'm a backup. I can still help my team if I'm not playing every Saturday. I was like, man, I can be a good leader. I can set a good example. I can work really hard. I can encourage others. Just being a good guy helps your team win games. And, you know, I'm, I'm so happy now. I play football at Pacific Lutheran University. Um, I, I'm just very ecstatic. And a lot of that is because of Josh McCown. A lot of that is because of the example he set and watching his career and watching the way he helped the people around him and helped Sam Darnold at New York. Um, and so I just wanted to, he's retiring. Um, it's a great piece. It's on uh, the Players' Tribune. It's fantastic. I, I recommend you go read it. Um, and I just wanted to say, you know, Josh McCown, thank you. Um, thank you so much for the example you set uh, for all quarterbacks and anybody watching of how to really help a team, even if you're not the front runner, even if you're not the leader you know, on the field, you can still really help a team and impact your locker room and impact wins and losses. And I just... I just, Josh, um, thank you, man. I really, you impacted my life. You're probably not listening, but I, I just, I want to say like, you know, Josh McCown had a huge impact on my life. He retired uh, and it made me feel pretty sentimental. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, guys, that's all I have. Um, that is all I have for the show, uh, except for one segment, very important segment, um, which is, I call it every week. I call it, if you're struggling, get help. <laughs> it's pretty in your face. Um, you may or may not know, I've talked about this before. My younger brother, Zane, and I played Halo every single week. And when, you, when, I, when I say that, I realize I tell the story badly. We were not on headsets playing Halo online. I packed up my Xbox, and I drove to his house once a week. And we, we sat next to each other on the couch, and we played through Halo 2 and played through Halo 1, and we were playing through Halo 3 when he died. Um, and, and my brother took his own life. It was horrible. It was sad. Uh, it was one of the worst things that's ever happened to me in my life. It really shaped me in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, there are two aspects of this that I think are really important. The first one is that if you're struggling, please go get help. If you're having a hard time, if things are bad, if I, I, I get how hard it is to struggle. And my, my plea to you is if you're struggling, please go get help. Talk to somebody. Talk to a therapist. Talk to a professional. Just do not suffer in silence. My brother never once said he was struggling to me. And I, it makes me very sad. I wish that he had. I wish he'd shared like, hey, Zach, I'm, I'm really in a bad place. And I don't know what to do. I wish Zane had said that to me. And uh, if you need help, the suicide hotline, I have to read this. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. There's another side of this, though. Again, 1-800-273-8255. There's another side, which is that 
Um, make sure your friends know that you're there for them. Make sure your friends know that you love them and that you care about them and that the door is always open because I could have done a better job every time I drove to my brother's house to play Halo. I could have really asked, hey, how are you doing? I know we're playing Halo, but how's life? How is this? How's I should have opened that door and made it abundantly clear to my brother, hey, dude, I love you. And if you're having a hard time, you can talk to me and I'm here for you. And I, I didn't do a good enough job of that. So there's, there's two sides. Again, look, if you're struggling, get help and, and really... Even if you're not struggling, if you're doing whatever, just make sure that the people in your life, your friends, the people you care about, make sure that they know how much you care about them and make sure that they know that and they're, they're fully aware. If they're having a hard time, you're there for them and you'll be there for them and you have their back because I did not do a good enough job of that with my brother. Um, and I, I just, I learned, I learned a really hard, horrible lesson, which is, you know, make sure the people in your life know that the door is always open and that you're there for them. And please, if you're struggling, go get help. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for listening. Um, it was a weird episode. It was a different episode than we normally do. Um, no film analysis, a lot more talking about myself and my life. Um, but I just want to say thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to my dad's wedding tomorrow. Uh, I'm super excited. It's like a monumental moment in my life. I have to give a best man speech, which you would think would be easy for a podcaster who writes all the time for sports. It was a really hard thing to write. Um, but I just want to say thank you so much for the support. I, uh, someone donated money to me on PayPal this morning and I woke up and was shocked and very happy and it, it pays for the trip to go to Lake Chelan. So, um, thank you so very much. I love you guys and I hope you have a great, great, wonderful drive to work, whatever you're doing. Um, I should just wrap it up and shut up and end the show. But again, thank you so very much. I, I very much appreciate you guys and, uh, take care. Bye. I just want to say thank you so very much for tuning in. My name is Zach Schaumler. Uh, this is my podcast, Strong Opinion Sports. It is my favorite thing in the entire world. And uh, my dream is to someday build Strong Opinion Sports into a company that I can run as my full-time job. And if you believe in me, if you believe in that dream, please do me a huge favor. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Um, another way you can help if you want to, no pressure. Um, I have a PayPal, paypal.me forward slash Zach Schaumler. I also have a Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. It'd be a huge help. Uh, that's my only source of income. If you have no money, no problem though. I don't care. I, I'm a broke college kid myself. I know what it's like. Um, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, man, I don't expect anything. I just really, it'd be a huge help if you could tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. That's the number one way you can help this show is help me grow by telling your friends about this podcast.